0: at the end of every year as the calendar turns over it's a popular tradition to make new year's resolutions many people view the new year as a fresh start a new beginning an opportunity to make some improvements in their life these resolutions range from something as ambitious as a promise to start exercising and eating a healthier diet to something as simple as a promise to clean out the garage unfortunately Every year, many of these resolutions go unfulfilled and end up being recycled again the next year. If everyone kept their New Year's resolutions, then fitness centers across the country would be packed, and probably most liquor and tobacco companies would go broke. So as you think about some resolutions that you have this year, as we think about some improvements we can make in the next year, we see the Apostle Paul in our sermon text for this morning giving us some God-pleasing goals to strive after. Except the keeping of these goals is far more important than keeping a promise to clean the garage. These are commands by God. And keeping these resolutions and goals is far more difficult than sticking to a strict diet. But we are not alone or left to our own strength in keeping these commands. We find our strength in the gospel. Paul begins by reminding us that we are God's people. We are holy and dearly loved. And he tells us, therefore, to live like it. Paul lists some virtues that we are to clothe ourselves with. We are to wear these virtues like a robe that we would put on. Except these virtues are not something that we put on outwardly and then again later take off. And they're not like a robe that wears out over time and must be thrown away. These are virtues that are to characterize us. They are to always stay with us, so that when other people see us, they are the first thing that they notice and see about us. Paul begins his list by writing, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness. These are virtues that require a giving heart. And while these might be the easiest out of Paul's entire list, because even the non-Christian world will will view these as admirable, and they will encourage them. But even here, our sinful flesh struggles. We're willing to show compassion and kindness, but only to a certain extent. We have our limits. We might think, I'm willing to help this person out as long as it doesn't affect me and, and what I want to do too much. Let me take care of what I want first, and then what is left over of my time and my money, then I will give back to God and to other people. After all, I have to take care of number one first. Or have you ever been reluctant to help someone out because in your mind they didn't deserve it, because they got themselves into the mess that they're in? But Paul doesn't limit this compassion and kindness to people that we think are deserving of it. We are to show compassion, and kindness to all people, to everyone that God puts in our life. And as if these first two weren't hard enough, the list just gets even more difficult. Next on the list, we see humility and gentleness. While compassion and kindness put us above others in the sense that we're helping them out, humility and gentleness put us below all others. In Paul's day... The pagan religions admired virtues of domination, of powerful self-assertion, and assuming a position above other men. To them, a low, poor mind that could not or, or would not assert itself over someone else that was despicable. The Christian, Christian idea of humility was far beyond pagan ethics. Are things any different Today? The gentle and the humble are trampled upon in this dog-eat-dog world that we live in. We might think that this cruel world humbles us enough without us putting ourselves in that position. The world will tell you just the opposite, that if you want to get ahead of life, you need to humble your opponents, those people who are standing in your way. Our sinful flesh wants to put ourselves above all else. It lies to us. It tells us that being on top, or at least letting everyone else know that you are on top, that's the way to be happy. It tells us that you can't possibly be humble and still find contentment in life. Paul goes on with his list. Clothe yourselves with patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Paul tells us to be patient and bear with each other. This means enduring when provoked, when an injustice is done to us. This means not giving way to resentment and retaliation. And this includes not only physical retaliation, but we are not even to hold a grudge or harbor any kind of resentment against someone else. We are to endure not only insults and injuries, but even the simple faults and the thoughtlessness on the parts of others. And we can't even do this with our own spouses and family members, let alone with people we might classify as our enemies. We come up short in this, in this all the time. And while we're so quick to point out the faults in other people, we're so quick to let them know how they might improve so that they can become more tolerable for us. But Paul tells us to Forgive. The moment that a complaint arises against someone else, whether it's justified or not, Paul isn't making a distinction here, but the moment a complaint arises, graciously forgive. If this is done, then no argument will arise. It will be extinguished at the source. Paul then gives the most important virtue in this list. He says, And over all these virtues, put on love. Love is the most important because it's the head of all these virtues. It's the common thread that runs through all of them. If you put on love, then kindness, humility, patience, and forgiveness, they will all follow. Love will show itself in every aspect of our lives, even beyond these virtues that Paul lists here. And just in case there is some aspect of your life that you're keeping to yourself, Paul addresses that in this letter as well. He writes, "And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." Maybe you think that you can give God an hour or two on Sunday morning, and then maybe another hour for small group Bible study, and then maybe on a good week another hour or two for for private devotion. But the rest of the time, you're keeping that for your time. But there's one major problem with this way of thinking. God wants everything. He wants your whole life. He wants every single aspect of it. Anything and everything you do, whatever you say, do, or even think, it is all to be done to glorify and to give thanks to God. He never stops loving us, and we never stop living in His grace. Therefore, we never stop glorifying Him and giving thanks to Him by our actions. As you look back at 2011, what do you see? Do you see deeds of kindness? Do you see humility? Do you see forgiveness? Has your life been one of glorifying and giving thanks to God in all situations? thinking that if you looked honestly, I think you would see a lot of angry words and hurtful actions. I think you would see grudges and retaliation. I think you would see a life that has oftentimes been in service to yourself and to your own sinful wants and desires. There was a man named Brian Widner, who was one of America's most violent and well-known white supremacists. After getting married in 2006 and starting a family, a repentant change was made in his heart. He and his wife, who were once pillars in the white power movement, tried to put this racist lifestyle behind them, and they tried to leave it. They joined a church, they, they tried to create a good family life, and they tried to leave this, this shameful past behind them. But there was one small problem. The past was always with them. It was tattooed in brutish symbols all over his face and his body. Blood-soaked razors and swastikas and the letters hate stamped across his knuckles. Everywhere he turned, Brian was shunned. At job sites, at restaurants, at the store. Everyone saw a menacing thug, not a loving father. And just as bad for Brian was that every time he looked in the mirror, He saw those tattoos accusing him of those horrible mistakes in his past. How could Brian move on with the better, more positive life he wanted for himself and his family when the past was so obviously with him? Finally, Brian was put in contact with the woman who was a strong supporter of an organization dedicated to stopping hate groups such as the one that Brian was formerly in. And this woman was moved by Brian's remorse and his deep regret and his determination to improve. And so she agreed to pay the $35,000 that it would take to remove those tattoos from his face. After 25 surgeries and 16 painful months, Brian's face, which was once a canvas for hatred, was now wiped clean. He was finally able to move on with his life as a, as a happy father and a and a positive member of society. Without Christ, we would still be carrying around the sins from our past. They would be like permanent, hate-filled tattoos accusing us of our wrong. It would be impossible and not even worth it to try and show godly love in our lives. What would it matter if we were still carrying around the baggage from our old sin? Why would we strive to do what is God-pleasing in 2012 and beyond, when all the other sins that we committed during all the other years of our life had already condemned us. But Christ has removed our sins. He has wiped our canvas clean, and He is daily wiping it clean. He has paid the punishment for our sins. They can no longer accuse us. He paid their punishment by coming to this earth to suffer and to die for us. He took all our sins to the cross, he paid for all those sins of greed and retaliation and all those times that we failed to show the love that he demands. He paid for them all. And this, this love that he shows us, this, that he tells us in the Gospel message, this is the result of all those good works. This, is the result, this results in all those virtues being completed. This gospel message, this message of sins forgiven, this is what empowers us. Do you suppose that once Brian got those tattoos removed from his face, that he went back to his old racist, hate-filled ways? Or do you think that he took advantage of this new life he was given, this second chance? Because Christ has shown us this love, because... He renews us daily with the forgiveness of sins. Should we go back to wallow in the filth of our sins? No, we strive to take advantage of that forgiveness by glorifying God through all our actions. Paul tells you to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This peace is the assurance or the conviction that all the sins of your past have been forgiven and that no sins in the future will separate you from the love of God. And because we have this peace, we don't need to find satisfaction in contentment and contentment in sinning. We have satisfaction in the gospel. We have satisfaction in reflecting Christ's love in our lives. The best way to start out your new year is to remind yourself that you are, as Paul writes, chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. As we move on to the new year, be assured that it is another year filled with God's grace and forgiveness. And it is another year filled with all the blessings that come with that forgiveness. God has chosen you not only for salvation, but for works of service. In view of God's grace and mercy, clothe yourselves in his love. No matter what lies ahead for you in the next year, No matter what God has in store for you in your future lives, live them reflecting Christ's abundant love. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.